Where I got screwed up is I got so addicted to strength training mm-hmm. and didn't have the appropriate guidance that I made all these improvements and I got way up here. And then what would had to happen? Well, if I want to continue improving, I had to keep working harder and harder and harder, which was wrong. But I kept working harder and harder. I kept getting more jacked up, more physical. But what happened is I started getting more immobile, slower, and injured. Listen, you can't, you can't. It doesn't just go like this. It's not this this curve that points straight up. There's bumps along the road. Mm-hmm. There's certain times of the year where you really need to dial back. There's certain times of the year where you can really ramp it up. I was basically going 100 miles per hour, 365, <laughs> and eventually caught up to me. So it's weird because strength training was both the blessing for me that allowed me to make the national team and also disastrous for me when I kept going and kept pushing and having to be better and better and better. It depleted myself. What I really needed was a coach to give me guidance on how to periodize my training, knowing when to ramp it up and when to dial it back. Welcome to the Offball Podcast. My name is Martin Reeder, and I will be your host. I'm a 2012 beach volleyball Olympian, Nike trainer, and movement leader. But more importantly, I'm interested in what happens off the ball. I'm interested in how top performers, coaches, and athletes get the most out of their game, but also the most out of life. And so, The conversations that this podcast will have will be deep dives into performance, will be deep dives into how we can improve our own lives and the lives of others through best practices, through the mind, through the body, and through life. So to launch this podcast, I have a good friend of mine, Reed Hall, coming on to have a conversation about youth sport, more specifically the physical development within youth sport. So Reed is a world-class strength and conditioning coach. He's the director of performance at the Athlete Matrix in Toronto and someone who is truly passionate and knowledgeable about how to get the most out of developing physicality and mental capacity in youth. So dive in, enjoy this episode Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the Offball Podcast. Today we have Reed, episode number one, my partner in crime for Mastery Camp, and we're blowing things up on that front. Reed, what's going on, man? Yeah, we're running a one-day event, and it's, it's multifaceted. There's going to be some mental skills training. There's going to be physical testing like it's never been done before. We've partnered with some sports doctors. You know, we have movement analysis that's going on. We have performance tests. Um, we also have some incredible guest speakers ranging from, you know, a three-time NCAA champion, Sophie Bukovic, to her beach partner, who's a rising star on the national team, Julie Gordon, to our former captain of our men's indoor national team, and now the high-performance director of the OVA. So it's going to be a special event. It's very much a collaborative event, bringing some great minds together to deliver something to the athletes that they're not really hearing about or doing much of at the time. So it's going to be a little bit of a mind shift. Love it. Now, Reed, you and I are doing this for a reason. This isn't just something that we want to bring to life because we want to make some money. This is so deep in terms of intention. What, what's going on in culture and why are we looking to elevate the education game for youth 
What are we seeing right now? Well, sports are evolving really, really quickly. There's more demands on the athletes. You know, these athletes are required to get really high marks. They're required to practice more, do more physical training. So they're getting put more and more on their plate. And the thing is, it's a really stressed out environment. Uh, I have a lot of contracts with different sporting organizations and clubs. And we're always surveying the athletes to see how they're doing. And it's common that they're chronically fatigued. They're stressed, and they just can't live. They look, they look like walking zombies, to be honest. <laughs> it's the walking dead out there, and we need to bring back some life to them. And I know, Marin, you and I are the same way that, you know, we were pretty high-performance athletes growing up, but we we're making a ton of mistakes and not treating our bodies properly, and we have no idea because we've never done it properly at this point. But now that we're out of the scene, we really realize, damn, we could have done things better if we just knew what we should be doing. So... To provide some context to those who are listening, you are an ex-national team athlete for beach volleyball, so you played for Team Canada, competed in some international competitions around the world. You then moved into kinesiology at university, specializing in strength and conditioning. You then developed your own brand and, and business for coaching and training athletes to become better within the sport of volleyball. So you developed a great business model. And I'd like to say you're one of the best sports specific trainers in the sport of volleyball in the world, built an online business there. And now you're the director of strength and conditioning at a 50,000 square foot sports training facility in Mississauga, Toronto. Big process there, Reed. You've, you've gone through a lot. What are you seeing on a day to day that you really want to fix or solve? Well, I'm seeing, like, like always, there's a lot of really motivated athletes that are really hungry to improve. So a lot of these athletes come to training and they're hungry to improve, but they just don't have the appropriate mindset. They don't know how to channel all their energy so they can efficiently develop as an athlete, right? Yeah. So you have a certain amount of energy, right? And you're for high energy, you're a very motivated athlete, but if you're channeling that in the wrong directions with the wrong mindset, it's actually draining you instead of making you better. I know this is pretty broad what I'm talking about, but it's a pretty broad topic that these kids have a ton on their plate and they're just not they're not channeling that energy in the appropriate direction meaning you know a kid is really beaten up they've been getting their butt kicked for two weeks in tournaments and they're going to the gym and expecting to lift really really heavy weights because they need all these performance gains but their body doesn't want to do that their body is so beaten up but their mind says go so it's really helping these athletes channel their energy in the right direction so the culture of youth sport right now is, I, I believe it's a race to the bottom. Yep. We are having to find athletes younger. We're asking them to specialize at younger ages. We're getting them to train more, play more, single sport. So all of a sudden, to prove your point, the stress is so, so much. How do you think sport culture and kids playing one sport full time is impacting they either training load and their results and, and how can they start to resolve some of those issues based on what they have in their control? Yeah. So um, just to touch on the point where you're talking about how, you know, kids are playing more and more, but they're playing one sport more and more. And especially at that younger age. So they're specializing earlier. So we're seeing 12 year old baseball players, 12 year old volleyball players, and all they do is play that one sport yeah. and they're playing less. And what I mean by that, you know, there's not, you know, there's recess at school, but they're not playing multiple games. They're not playing in other sports. So what happens is sure when they're in high school, they become excellent at that one sport, but they can't make it the next level they go to college and they have a hard time continuing to develop so i have a lot of communication with college coaches and a lot of them are expressing that 
we're getting good volleyball players, we're getting good baseball players, but we're not getting good athletes. The only <laughs> thing that these kids are good at is what's specific to their sport. And there's been tons of studies to show that these type of athletes have a hard time making to the next level. We look at NFL athletes, it's something ridiculous. Like 80% of NFL athletes were multiple sport athletes up until like 17 or 18 years old, right? And for me, football, like it really embodies a lot of athletic components. Those guys are great freaking athletes, right? Yeah. And so the thing is, is diversify your movement. Movements. And when you're diversifying your movements, you're not becoming only an overall better athlete, but studies show you're also going to deal with less overuse injuries and you're going to have a longer career. So movement is the word that I'm infatuated with, and we're creating movement mastery camp coming up really quick. Talk to me about movement culture, Reed. You've yep. been in the scene for a long time. You've worked with a lot of pro athletes around the world in a bunch of different sports. You're seeing baseball here in this facility. You manage a lot of uh, volleyball athletes, young and old. Talk to me about how important movement is in the continuum of strength and conditioning and improving to become a professional athlete. So, I I, I mean, I'm going to make this very narrow, maybe too narrow. I'm going to put it into two categories here, okay? There's the very stiff moving athlete, and there's the athlete that's very, very mobile and hypermobile that doesn't have coordinated movements. I know there's more things out there, but let's talk about these two categories because we see a lot of them. Mm -hmm. So, the typical male athlete that we see, the typical one, not all of them, are extremely stiff, and they have a hard time moving. But think about their day. They sit at a desk all day. They're sitting in this posture where their shoulders are four, their hip flexors are really tight, and then they're required to go and do their sport where they don't get enough warm-up time. So what happens is they get tighter and tighter and stiffer and stiffer. So when they're trying to do the skills in the sport, they're always compensating. they got to create a different way to create that shape because their body can't create that shape because they're so stiff, they're so rigid. Mm-hmm. So that's the one side, the really stiff athlete. And then the other side, which people are not paying much attention to, is like the young female athlete that are super mobile. Like their elbow hyperextends and it makes me want to puke. Their knees completely lock up. And what happens with this athlete, sure, they can create the shapes and the movements, but they're not stable and in control in those movements. Mm-hmm. So they're actually almost at as high risk of getting injured as the really stiff athletes these are the athletes that generally like tear their acls and have those serious injuries because they can move their joints function to move but they're not strong and stable so those are the kids that are really getting hurt and injured so there's definitely a problem going on i would love to see athletes warming up better i would love to see breaks in school where they can get up move they do things that you know they're going to counteract the tight stiff rigid posture that you're in in school all day somehow to break that up so that they're just moving better because What are these kids going to be like when they're 50 is what I'm scared about, right? Let's get hip replacements, knee replacements, get all that stuff done earlier because these kids are not aligning themselves in the right direction. So they need, I I think it really stems that coaches need to be more aware of these things. Amazing. So we're also inviting coaches to participate in in the mastery camp. We're asking them to come and this is an open call out. If you want to come and watch and engage, learn from Reed and I as we try to get this information to coaches, how important is it for the coach to be aware of these things considering that they have such high touch points with the athletes on the yeah. consistent weekly basis well it's, it's it's extremely important because a lot of sports teams the head the head coach is also the strength coach is also the psychologist is also the nutrition they do all these roles because you know they can't be charging so much money for all these programs right so it's really like the coach 
kind of has to be a little bit of a jack of all trades, right? And sure, they don't need to be a master of anyone, but they should know and be aware of it, right? And they should be aware of how to warm up their athletes properly and the importance of that. They should be aware of strength and conditioning, things that they can do for their body to help them long-term develop. So they need to be understanding of all these components because it's not always going to come from somewhere else. And also, a coach, if you're knowledge about this and you're looking into bringing in an expert or bringing into a partner, maybe that's strength and conditioning, maybe that's nutrition, well, at least if you have a basis of understanding it, you'll be able to pick out the good ones from the bad ones yeah. because I can tell you it's very noisy these days, especially online. Like a lot of our education that we get is online now and there's a lot of gimmicky stuff out there. Everyone's trying to sell, sell, sell. And sometimes what's selling and what looks sexy is not the best thing for the kids to be doing, but looks the most luring for the coach. So we're going to kind of filter through the BS at mastery camp. So coaches can actually see, Oh, these are the things that are really important. And these are the cutting edge things. I don't like using the words cutting edge because it sounds gimmicky, but literally the cutting edge things that are new that these athletes need to be doing for long-term success. So something that you and I have spoken about a fair amount, and I know you take a lot of pride in this, Reed, is that you're very fluid in how you train your athletes. They come in here and you're able to see right off the bat whether they're under-recovered, whether they're super, super stiff and incapable of doing things. And you're able to manipulate your training load to essentially meet their demands. Now, understanding volume, let's talk about that. The expectation of kids is to be at 100% every single day, day in, day out. Now talk about, as a coach, how important is it for you to recognize where your athletes are at versus just say, you have to do this every single day? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the first thing that I do, uh, and I'm going to talk more about from the strength conditioning part right now, and there's definitely overlap in the, if you're a sport coach, is we survey the athletes. The first thing they come in, we ask them, um, what's, what's your general mood state? Are you happy? Are you angry? Are you tired? Are you sore? Are you in pain? Uh, what did you eat before here? How much water have you drank? You would be in shock. Okay, so I, I run this 11 a.m. strength training class, and uh, these athletes come in. And guess what? There's 20% of them ate an actual real healthy breakfast. The other 80% either didn't eat breakfast or ate Cheerios or, or had a bagel. You know what I mean? So these, how, how am I supposed to work this kid hard? Am I helping them improve by working hard? I think I'm actually just depleting them and beating them up. But I think the same thing, whether you're a baseball coach, a volleyball coach, a basketball coach, is when the kids come into practice, you should be able to survey them and get real answers and have an understanding of them. So, and when you do that, you actually have to have a really good relationship with the team. So they're going to answer these questions accurately. But when you're on that level and you can get that feedback from the athletes, you can get so much more out of them. And so much more isn't always them working harder. So much more is tailoring whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. So it's the best thing for their body and their mindset at that given time. Like think kids, they're, they have to write seven exams this week. They're an exam period. But they also have a tournament on the weekend. They have four practice. These kids are a disaster. I don't know how they do it. You know what I mean? And you need to be understand that and you need to be able to manipulate your training or coaching accordingly so we're not killing these kids. No, for sure. Um, moving into a little bit more sport specific now, we're specializing in the volleyball side of things, although we cover a lot of topics within different athletes. But let's talk about jumping and landing, Reed, because it's yep. something you and I are passionate about. Is there an opportunity right now to improve the culture of jumping and landing or, or vert training because you and I see it. Everyone's so infatuated with getting up as high as we can, but 
Where's the opportunity right now to help athletes with the longevity piece? And I'm not going to give give this one away. I'll let you take it. Yeah, you actually uh, released a post today that was just really good. It wasn't just talking about how everyone's infatuated with jumping higher and higher, but these kids aren't landing well, right? So think about this. The higher you jump, the harder you land, right? Unless you learn how to land properly, right? And volleyball is a very bilateral sport, which I mean you're generally jumping off two legs and you're generally landing on two legs or one leg. But when you're jumping off two legs, it really creates asymmetries. And what I mean by that, you might find that you generate X amount of power on your right leg when you jump compared to X amount of power on your left leg. And when you land, you absorb more impact through your right leg than your left leg. And these are over time what creates injuries, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to do is not just think about increasing your vertical, becoming a more athletic jumper. And that includes jumping mechanics, landing mechanics, loading your hips, you know, triple extension, your arm drive, you know, what are your knees collapsing in, your foot positioning. There's just so much to it more than jumping higher, right? Another thing is jumping higher you might be getting up slow. Jump higher, jump up, get up faster. Like you got to jump, land, change direction, get back up. Like these are multiple movements that get tied together. So I want to think it more broad as developing jumping athleticism versus just jumping higher. So it, a lot of people are training in kind of closed environments. They're training the single movement pattern over and over and over again because they might infatuate how high they can jump. Right. But the athleticism piece is can you land and change directions? Can you yeah. land and be a functional athlete within the rest of that rally? Or did you just do one rep and you're toast? So yeah. talk to me a little bit about your philosophy of athleticism, Reed. And this, there's not necessarily any direction I want to go okay. here other than just what's a great athlete to you? A great athlete to me is someone that is mobile, so their joints have good range of motion, they function properly, but they're also stable and strong within those range of motions. There's someone that has very fast feet and fast arms, so they're very fast twitch, explosive type of athlete. I mean, it does depend on the sport we're talking about. We're talking volleyball here, so a fast twitch, explosive type of athlete, Mm -hmm. and someone that can land and decelerate well. So say I have an arm swing, my arm is able to slow down well after my arm swing. You know, if I'm jumping and landing, I'm able to absorb the impact of the landing, whether that's through two legs or one leg. So someone that's an athletic, an overall athlete is someone that's fast, mobile, stable, strong, flexible, you know, all those components, they have a good body composition, all those things feed it. So it's very, very multidimensional. So out of all of those things, how much of that is in their control? A lot of it (laughs) and so much of it. But the thing is, is why it gets really uncontrolled is because I said this earlier, it's noisy online and some of the coaches are uneducated. So the information they're giving or the task they're giving them is not helping develop overall athleticism. It's helping develop one task. Well, I want this kid to jump higher. Well, I'm going to make him jump a million times. Well, you know what? They're going to get hurt by that or ingrained bad patterns. You want a kid to jump higher and land better? Well, they need to get stronger relative to their body weight. You know, if they're really tight and restricted, they might need to get a little bit more mobile. Mm-hmm. You got to work on jumping in multiple different directions, single leg, both legs, and things need to be structured and periodized in a way that leads you in a path to success. So if you take an athlete right away, I don't care if they're pro professional or young athlete you just get them to jump a ton multi-direction whatever they're not going to develop much because they're weak and unstable right so they need strength right so things actually need to be structured properly so that we can have long-term success so let's just picture a let's create a 13 or 14 year old athlete yeah this is for the parent this is for the coach and this is for the athlete talk to me about how you would approach 
building that 13, 14 year old athlete who is maybe a couple years into playing volleyball, what would you say to them, their parents, the coach, to bring them to another level? Now we're not talking that seven day ABBA program. This yeah. is build athleticism at 13, 14 in, in a periodized way. What would be a priority or, or list of priorities that athletes should be interested well, in? Well, the first thing I do is when the athlete comes in, I have no idea about the athlete when it's their first session. They need to be thoroughly assessed. Mm-hmm. And so we put them in some sort of some sort of movement screening, which analyzes, well, how are their limbs moving? How are their joints moving? We take them through a series of tests. So I might get them to do a bodyweight squat, and you see that their knees are collapsing in. They're not using their hips properly. Or, you know, they might have to do a push-up. I'm watching them do a push-up, and they can't do it properly without losing stability and control through their, their spine, right? And so we need to assess things first. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what creates the roadmap. With the younger athlete and their parents, is, I get parents because I'm, I'm the vert guy, I guess. I don't know. People always contact me. It's like, Reed, I want my kid to jump higher. But these parents are confused. They're like, well, like, you know, we got a couple months, so I want my kid jumping six inches higher. And it gets really, <laughs> really confusing, right? And to create long-term success, it's baby steps. It's small weekly improvements. And that small weekly improvement might be improving their mobility a little bit or improving their technique of the jump a little bit or improving their strength. But when you create small baby improvements weekly, it becomes massive improvements. So I had this athlete and they increased their vertical by eight inches over the year. And that was massive. I mean, you do that year on end, you can't do that. But I mean, that's that's huge improvements. But it, we never had like a, we, we tested them on day one. We tested them on, you know, eight weeks in. They made a little improvement. Test them eight weeks later, they made a little improvement. And that's how it added up. It didn't come freaking quick. And that's what it is. It's baby steps, and that's how you create long-term success. Also, if you try to get results really, really fast, it goes the other direction. You get hurt and you're sideline, mm-hmm. sideline. And that's counterproductive because that's taking away developmental time, training time. So if I can say anything, it's baby steps. And saying it's baby steps, I know it doesn't sound that sexy, but I'm just giving you the truth because online you're going to hear about these, these massive improvements right away. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, we got to make things sexy to sell them, so it makes a ton of sense. It's very, very noisy out there. I think that over the last couple of years, and you've probably seen this, is the strength and conditioning has been the sexy thing. It's, you got a young kid. How do we make them better? The first thing is strength and conditioning. I'd love to bring it back to movement because our mastery camp is movement edition, really empowering kids to learn how to be a healthy, holistic volleyball athlete for that long-term career, whether they're taking it to school, whether they're taking it to pro. So let's understand that strength and conditioning is a critical piece of that pathway. Yeah. But before strength and conditioning, it's movement and movement quality. Talk to me a little bit about the requisites to play volleyball and what movement patterns are really important to develop before you immediately look to strength and conditioning. Yeah. So, and just like, even before I go into movement, I actually just want to teach the kid how to use their muscles. And what I mean by that, I'm teaching the kids, well, this is how you embrace your core. This is how you tighten up your abs. Um, This is how you hinge at your hips. This is how you do that. Once you learn how to use your muscles well, when you give them a cue when you do a strength exercise, they can actually do it safely. So uh, everyone likes to back squat, but when you put someone in back squatting before they learn how to brace their abs or tighten their glutes, it's going to be disastrous. But there is archetypal movements that are in volleyball that are extremely important, like hinging at your hips, loading your hips. If you can't hinge properly at your hips, it's going to be disastrous for your knees. And I can tell you, most kids in volleyball have no clue how to do that. So learning how to hinge your hips, 
Maybe when it's approaching and jumping, learning how to plant your feet under your hips because that's the safest spot yeah. with your hips loaded, with your ability to use your arms. So movement quality is really, really essential, teaching them how to move. But I'm seeing kids these days, and you're, you know, my first time seeing them, I'm seeing them walk into training centers. I'm like, holy smokes, their feet are pointed out, they're duck-footed, they're hunched over, they're not even walking properly. Or you watch them run, and they've never learned how to even do running mechanics. I know running isn't volleyball-specific, but if you can't run and you haven't taught those motor patterns, once you start doing more complex patterns, things just fall apart. So things need to be initiated properly. So as Martin said, movement quality is really important. And also just like body awareness and understanding how to use your body. How do I brace my core? What do I do to brace my core? How do I contract my glutes? Like how do I squeeze my glutes and get them working? So you need to learn how to use your muscles before you start layering on really aggressive strength-based exercise or you're just going to get hurt. So longevity is something that you and I are interested in because what we're talking about is, is stuff that we wish that we had known when we were playing, right? Yeah. So with this longevity piece in mind, everyone wants to get so strong. Everyone wants to jump super high as we've discussed. But let's really set the tone for long-term development. Let's just now talk to that 18, 19, 20-year-old who's in university, in college, is looking to go pro. How can we extend the careers of athletes at this point? Where, where would you direct their attention so that they can have, let's say, a 10, 15-year career, whether it be in beach or indoors? Yeah, I would start with nutrition, actually. And I wouldn't come for me. I, I do know quite a bit of nutrition, but that's not my wheelhouse. I know a lot of people that are better than me with nutrition. So I would find out first, I give them some sort of lifestyle analysis and see what they're eating, how much water they're drinking. Because I really feel that's like the first layer of the onion is nutrition. Yeah. The next layer is movement quality. The third layer is how you use your muscles. And the fourth layer is, you know, then we're getting the more exciting stuff, the strength training, the speed and stuff. So I'd really educate them on that process because I'm going to dial this back. When I was in high school, I was extremely hungry to get better. I would do whatever I could to improve. And I was busting my butt in the gym all the time. Was I doing the right things? Absolutely not. But if I was educated on those different layers that we went through, Mm -hmm. and it was coming through a really credible source, I would then believe in it and I'd start doing it. You need buy-in on those other layers, right? To tell a kid that they need to eat healthier, well, they're not going to do it unless they buy into it and believe it. So they need to be educated in a way that gets them to be bought in and really understanding. So education, I think, is, is crucial. And, and at Mastery Camp, this is essentially, we're empowering athletes with the tools to become high-performance athletes. These kids are going to learn how to eat better. They're going to learn how to use their body more efficiently. And we're going to educate them. And, you know, we've got very credible speakers that were high-level athletes. And I think hearing it from them, they're like, oh, wow, that's what Martin Reeder does? He's a 2012 Olympian. Well, you know what? I'm going to do that too because you know what? My goals are to actually be Martin Reeder. My goals are to go to the Olympics, right? And so when they get to relate and educate on something on that level, it's powerful and you get more buy-in. So my short answer is education. My long answer is all the other junk I said. So we'll leave it there. I love it, man. Well, I, I really believe that you and I are looking to share as much as possible Set the tone and and let that information sink in for these young kids. And so culturally right now, you know, coaches are so skill-based. Kids want to learn and so they're eager and they're getting as many reps as they possibly can. Parents are so keen. They're looking to get the kids as many opportunities as they can in camps and high performance and this and that. But all of that combined is just volume, right? Yeah. It's just so, 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 so much. So 
talk to me about the goal of Mastery Camp for you. When a kid walks away from Mastery Camp, how have we changed their life trajectory? How have we changed how they participate in sport? Yeah, I want them just to see it different than what they were going in there. Uh, so for instance, like if this kid is eating hot dogs throughout the day, they understand the importance of why eating these other things are important. So they're essentially leaving with tools or tools of how to use their body more efficient. That could be the way they move, how they use their musculature. So I want them leaving with real things that are going to long-term leave them less injured. So this could be something mental. This could be something physical. It could be something the way you move. But they're going to be leaving with tools that are going to make them better right then and there, right? Like you go to an event, right? And it's just physical testing, right? They just got a bunch of information on are they good or are they bad? But you didn't leave with anything. But if you're leaving with real tools on how to improve on these things. So um, in um, Mastery Camp, one of the stations is a spike approach analysis. Um, approaching poorly on your spike and having an improper jump and landing leads to a lot of injuries. But them saying, okay, well, you touch 10-6... That didn't help them at all. Good, you touched 10-6, but here are all the things you're doing with your approach and jump that need to be improved so you can touch higher and you can stay safe and healthier. So once again, tools. That's what these kids need. They need the actual tools so they can improve, but they don't have them yet. Why do you think this information really hasn't hit the marketplace? Like, what, Why is what we're doing something that's a game changer or something that's new and forward thinking when really we're, we're just sharing from the heart of stuff that we've learned. Why, why has that, this not been brought to the surface? I really don't know why it's taking so long for some of these things to be talked about. It is being talked about more and more, definitely not in the volleyball space and it's not being approached properly, but in other sports it's starting to be touched upon more and more. Uh, I think it's just more leaders are talking right now and the, the power of technology is these leaders that you know, know how to breathe properly, that are, are masters in nutrition or that are doing studies are able to relay these messages more often and it's going to start trickling down to coaches and coming down we're just at the infancy of it so mm-hmm. i'd really say because you and i we're constantly going to different certification programs workshops we're experts in our fields we've done extended education that we're really at the forefront we got all the top information we get this first and then it trickles down we're trying to get that information out there to the athletes as soon as we can because that's only going to benefit them and not just the athlete the coach as well right things are still done pretty old school right you know how this coach did things in the 90s and 80s they're trying to apply now but the difference is the environment's different than the 90s and 80s and when i say environment mean the kids have more demands they have to be better than they were back then because there's a higher demand to make college teams professional teams so there's more on their plate but yet we're using tactics from the 90s and 80s and that's disastrous where there's so much research being pumped out in great great material but it's just not being released, or it is being released. It just hasn't trickled down yet. And at Mastery Camp, we're increasing the speed of that trickle-down effect and getting it down to the kids yeah. and also um, and the coaches. Love it. Um, you have a few great relationships with clubs, Pac-Man Volleyball Club being one of them. Talk to me about how you've integrated into their community and into their club and, and the changes that you've been able to, to help them make and the, the impact in success that you've played an integral role with within Pac-Man because I think the individual thing is great. The team thing is great. But if we can make an impact in clubs, if we can talk to clubs at a higher level, then the, the impact is just that much greater. So can you talk to me about your relationship with Pac-Man and how you as a, a specialist in your industry has 
has really improved their culture. Yeah, and like I have a fantastic relationship with Pac-Man. They're a fantastic club, and their director. They're one of the best in, in Canada, right? They, yeah, for the guy side, for sure, they're like the best. But uh, their director is like a phenomenal human being, like Kelly Smith. He's just out there trying to bring in all these other experts just to make these kids better, right? Like his goal is to provide better volleyball and have healthier kids and these great things. And he brings in all these experts where there's no ego with him. He's just trying to help things improve. So that's great. And then, uh, you know, I was able to integrate in there and I'm very happy that he pulled me in there. And really, the, some of the big things that we've helped is, sure, there's a lot of the sexy stuff where you're seeing these athletes jump a lot higher and hit harder and they're moving faster. And like, oh, Reed must be doing a tremendous job. But really, there's so many other layers that we've been doing. Like we've taught these kids how to warm up properly. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. Actually, I actually coached a U18 boys team for Pac-Man a few years ago. And they were the really stiff kids. And we just did 15, 10 to 15 minutes mobility work at the beginning of press by the end of the year how much better these kids were moving because they're moving so much better they're jumping higher they're hitting harder they weren't as injured as often and so like so they didn't have to train harder what you're saying they took care of 15 minutes of mobility at the start of their practice consciously and that showed up in the way you just said at the end well like if i can set this home and like in baseball, they talk about pitchers, and uh, the exact numbers I'm going to give you are, are not going to be true, but I'm just kind of guessing based off some of the studies I've read in the past. But they're talking about pitchers and how they were able to increase their throwing velocity by four miles per hour by getting better hip rotation, getting their hips to work better. So that's not strength training. It's not a ton of hard work. That's just teaching patterning, and it's just the idea that if you're a tight, yeah. restricted athlete, well, I think you're going to attack a ball. You'll be able to rotate better through your core and open up your hips more and have a more fluid arm swing you're gonna hit harder and that wasn't you know lifting a bunch of dumbbells sure maybe you should be lifting weights too but i'm just saying that improving your mobility if you're a really stiff athlete gives you performance gains or think about fighters think the think of a bodybuilder in a fight he's gonna be very stiff and rigid his punch is gonna be slow now think about bruce lee this wiry wiry guy that's very fluid moving and fast and agile do you want to be a stiff-moving athlete or do you want to be a fluid-moving athlete? Because on the guy's side, 80% of them fit in the stiff-moving athlete. So mobility is going to make them so much better. If a kid's immobile and then you aggressively strength tram, you're putting strength on top of dysfunction. Yeah. Now you're making it a lot harder to rewire their pattern. You're actually really messing them up. So think of... Um, a volleyball coach, right? They always say, oh, I got this, this athlete that's 17 years old and he's had all this bad skill-based training, so I'm trying to reteach the way he passes, trying to reteach the way he hits. That's what you do in the strength training. When this kid's immobile and stiff and you do a bunch of strength stuff, you're basically locking in these bad patterns and then it's really, really tough to, to make those changes when it really matters when they're going to college or their professional careers. So it needs to start young because you develop those patterns early. You develop your mobility and your stability early and so that you can have long-term success. So you and I both have a story where, where we really went for it. We did as much as we possibly could with the information that we had. We strength trained really hard and I got as jacked as I possibly could thinking that how much weight I picked off the ground would translate into me becoming a better volleyball player. Yeah. For you, can you take me through a little bit of your journey? Because you got a really unique experience with, you know, you were young, you were super thin, super light, and you had these goals. How did strength training or movement empower you as a volleyball athlete? So when I I was in high school, it's extreme, I'm, I'm sure, but I was also... It's extremely weak and skinny, right? And so when I would step on the volleyball court and I'd see a taller, more physical athlete, in my head I was like, I'm disadvantaged. 
I would go on the court right away and I have negative thoughts in my mind. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started my strength training journey. I started training really, really hard. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was working hard and I was improving. I was getting stronger. I was getting bigger. And it gave me a competitive edge because then when I stepped on the court and I saw the taller, bigger athlete, you know what immediately went in my head? I'm going to be faster and more dynamic than you. I then had a competitive edge. Just whenever I stepped on the court, was it a small guy, a tall guy or something? I could think of something that I was better than that. And it came from the gym, working on mobility, speed work, strength work. And for for me, I got to make the national team, but I'm an undersized guy. So for them, they're like, well, do we want to take you in the national team? Is he really a long-term project? He's not 6'7", he's not 6'8". But I showed up that I could perform really well, that I could jump higher, I could be faster, that I could bridge the gap with some of those other components. Where I got screwed up is I got so addicted to strength training mm-hmm. and didn't have the appropriate guidance that I made all these improvements and I got way up here. And then what would have had to happen? Well, if I want to continue improving, I had to keep working harder and harder and harder, which was wrong. But I kept working harder and harder. I kept getting more jacked up, more physical. But what happened is I started getting more immobile, slower and injured. Listen, you can't, you can't, it doesn't just go like this. It's not this this curve that points straight up. There's bumps along the road. Mm-hmm. There's certain times of the year where you really need to dial back. There's certain times of the year where you can really ramp it up. I was basically going 100 miles per hour, 365, <laughs> and eventually caught up to me. So it's weird because strength training was both the blessing for me that allowed me to make the national team and also disastrous for me when I kept going and kept pushing and having to be better and better and better. It depleted myself. What I really needed was a coach to give me guidance on how to periodize my training, knowing when to ramp it up and when to dial it back. Yeah, that's awesome. So without getting deeper into that, because you're going to share more of that story at Mastery Camp, um, I think we, we covered a ton of topics here, man. I'm, yeah. I'm super, super stoked to, to run this with you and, and to change the culture here. But there's also an opportunity globally. Like right now, I think what's happening in Toronto is, is great. But you're also down in the States. You got a contract with, I think, Lloyd Ball's club down there. And like what opportunities do you see in the, in the international volleyball community yeah. right now yeah so i'm doing the programming for empowered sports performance that's like will robbins club and there's some other people associated with it so i actually got uh contracts with a couple ncaa programs where they do their programming in other places i basically do the programming the strength programming for their coaches that they initiate and then they make the adjustments well, going back to your question is what am i seeing down the yeah, states? yeah no, what, um, what opportunities are well, what, the, what do the, we the see difference in between the states and canada and it's not always better i'm not saying it's better in canada or better in the states is that often the programs in the States are done a little more professionally because the coaches are being paid more money right. and so that they're able to provide more resources. But sometimes these resources can also be disastrous as well. For like the top clubs in the States, I do see it a lot better because they're hiring a real strength and conditioning professional. You know, they'll bring in nutritionists and sports psychologists versus the coach doing everything. So I do see that there's more resources in the United States. But I don't think money has to be the game changer. Like, I don't want to say the clubs in the States are better because they're paying more money. Be Getting educated doesn't need to be cost a lot of money. As your coach, educate yourself. Like, if you're someone that has to be the jack of all trades, well, start learning pieces of those other things. doesn't mean you need to be an expert in each stuff because a lot of kids, they don't need expert content all the time. They yeah. just need things that are better than what they're doing now, if that makes sense. So. I do see a difference between Canada and the States. I'm not saying one's better than the other. United States has more resources than Canada. Canadian coaches need to be educating themselves more. And I actually do think uh, there's a big problem right now in the strength and conditioning and movement world within the youth volleyball. It's because the kids hate it. That's a big thing. Okay. So for a lot of the volleyball clubs here, so when we get volleyball athletes to come in, uh, we ask them about their experiences with strength training. And they hate it. It's not fun. 
training needs to be fun, right? Yes. And that's a big thing. For kids to do it long-term, they need to have fun. Where a lot of these clubs are doing strength and conditioning and mobility work, but they're in one static spot with these really boring movements and their, their coaches think they're going to get all these great improvements. Kids need to be moving. They need to be changing direction. They need to be playing games. They need to be exploring different things. If the kid is having fun, they do it for their life. And doing it for life should be the big goal. It's not just about right now. So there needs to be a shift where kids are enjoying fitness more. We all hear the stories about the, the kid in school where their first experience to, to strength training movement was very, very militage with this, you know, this really tough coach that's beating up and yelling at them. It's not how it's done. These yeah. kids aren't going to do it on their own. But if they come in here, they explore some movements and, you know, we had good music on and we're working hard and they feel themselves improving. They're going to go and do this on their own. They're going to love it. They're going to do it. It needs to be fun. And it really needs to crack right now. I can tell you it's, it's bad right now in Ontario. There's just a lot of kids not having fun. Got to fall in love with the process. I think back to when I was looking for those things. I remember being in my barn on Vancouver Island doing vert training off a box of my dad's toolboxes onto a, a wrestling mat pad in the freezing cold. But like, I wanted to improve whether that was the best thing for me or not at that point in time. But I knew that I had to improve. And so kids, to make it now... It's getting more and more competitive at younger, younger ages, right? So kids have to have some type of self-ownership or practice on improving. And falling in love with the process is so, so critical. Actually, I know that you stand for that every single day in here because you make it entertaining. I've seen how much you engage with the kids. So how do you do that, man? How do, yeah, how do you make it fun yeah, for I think the kids? It's, like for me, it, like I, they look at you as your coach. They look at you as a role model as well. If they see that you're in shape and you're passionate and you're working hard, the kids are going to give you the same thing back. Mm -hmm. And so I think it first comes from the coach to give them good energy, not being militage, not lecturing. Often the biggest thing a coach can do is listen to the kid. Yeah. Ask them a bunch of questions, listen, kind of figure out what buttons to push for them. Like I get kids in here that, you know, their parents really want to sign them up and the kid might not necessarily want to be here, right? And I'm trying to find out why. Like why? Like how can I make this a better experience for them? Because at the end of the day, you as a coach, you're servicing these kids, right? And you want to provide them with a happy time. They want to enjoy this and finding it. So survey them ask them questions, find out the right buttons to push with them. Make sure you got some good music on. Sometimes I get lectured that my music sucks. Uh, <laughs> playing a little too much Katy Perry when they're working out. But that being said, there needs to be like fun elements and it comes from you and you don't always know what's going on in these kids' minds. So ask them questions. Yeah, I love that. Um, competing is something that you love and something that you bring into your training. Yeah. How do you use competing or the healthy environment of competition to to get more out of your young athletes? Because yeah. like, uh, and I do this a lot with like speed and agility, right? So the kids come in there and you're just doing, so say you're doing ladder drills and like some figure eights and these different movements. The kids get bored. It's the same thing or they don't put forth 100% energy. Their adrenaline, or their adrenal gland is not pumping, right? But once you get them competing, there's a speed game. It's you versus this person or this team versus that team. All of a sudden, you get the adrenaline, the adrenal gland, like the blood's really pumping. You get the competitive juices, and they do whatever pattern that you're doing at a higher intensity, right? Mm -hmm. So think about foot speed. If you train it at a medium speed or foot speed, it never improves, even though all the work that you possibly do. But if you're stretching yourself, when I say stretching yourself, working on being faster every time you do it and picking it up, that's how you improve. And when you start competing, you naturally do that because you want to win that drill or you want to win that game. And the other kids 
kids love to compete, especially we do this kind of at the beginning of the strength training session. We do some speed and agility work where we're competing and that sets the tone that they're pumped up, they're energized, and they're so dialed in for the rest of the training session. So I think competing is like a fantastic tool. Amazing. So tons of room for opportunity within the industry to get better. Like a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here seems like they're, they're kind of widespread issues, adding competition, adding fun, adding the movement side of things. Anything else that you would add to that list just for those listeners who are looking to A, improve the quality of their, their group, if they're a coach, parents trying to get the kids involved, or a youth trying to improve their situation? So at the end of the day, be a good person. You know what I mean? Like these are kids and you know, one day these kids are, they're going to be the role models out there. Like just be a good person and set like a good example because like strength training, strength training, like it's not the most important thing in the world. There's much more important things like friendships, relationships, family, all that stuff. So I think as a strength coach, as a volleyball coach, be a good person and teach these kids some good values, right? Yeah. There's so much on TV and YouTube and stuff. It's easy to get distracted and, you know, learn some bad values. So just be a good person. I, I agree with that so much. And it, oftentimes we get this infatuation with high performance. We think high performance is everything, but we've forgotten that there's a human being there. Yeah. And I've noticed now that I've started coaching more, uh, especially at the National Team Training Center, even high performance athletes, they oftentimes just need to be heard, man. Yeah. And we just have to ask questions and care and, and creating an environment where they feel welcome, where they feel safe, where they can really go for it knowing that no one's going to judge them or, or punish them and, and creating that safe, trustworthy environment for them to push. And, and oftentimes you believe in them more than they believe in themselves. Yeah. Right? You're, you're giving them that opportunity. And when they see you believing in them that creates so much more. So talk to me a little bit about your relationships with the kids and let's, let's end there. But yeah. like, how do you, how do you want to appear to them and how do you want to impact their lives? Well, the thing is, is I really want them to feel comfortable that they can speak to me when they have a problem, right? That's a big thing, right? So say I, I meet a new kid, they come in there and whatever, they're pretty quiet, they're pretty shy. I'm going to crack a joke. I'm going to try and get you to laugh, right? <laughs> I need to get some personality out with you. But you need to build that relationship where they feel comfortable talking with you. Yeah. And I think it's just the way you represent yourself. And the way you represent yourself in social media is important. The way you represent yourself when they come in there to train hard. You know, a kid having a really bad day and you acknowledging their bad day and you speaking with them and encouraging them and making them feel better and work hard, they remember that. And then next time they have a problem, they've come back to you. Like, when I was a kid, I had, you know, my, my life situation was really poor. My parents got divorced. My dad committed suicide. We had all kinds of different problems. I came from a low-income family. I needed to be heard. I needed a coach to speak to and understand me. I'm going in, I'm doing all these training sessions, all these skill works with all these demands, and mentally I'm depressed, I'm depleted, I'm sad. But if you just looked at me, sure, I look like a happy-go-lucky kid, but you can't see through them. But if a coach came and talked to me, they asked me questions, they would understand what I'm going through. And sometimes I needed things dialed back or sometimes I needed to do something else. Like you don't know what's going on in these kids' lives. So be a good person once again and dig deep and find out what's going on. I love it, man. Well, Aid, like you having lived through it and now you being that person for them is, is so, so great. And oftentimes we also forget that sport is a way to develop human beings. At the end of the day, it's not actually about that sport and everything lives and dies right there. 
we're teaching people to be better human beings and, Absolutely. and to take accountability for their actions, to take accountability for the space that they take up in space on the planet. So huge there. So value-based training here at the matrix, which I love, man, what you guys are doing here is it's been incredible to see over the last couple of months. So super psyched to, to get some great stuff off the ground with you, man. Master yeah. going to be sweet. Thanks for being first guest here on, yeah. on the podcast. Thanks for bringing me in the off ball podcast. And that's really what it was. Like we didn't talk about the volleyball at all. It's just, mindset physicality taking care of your body those are the real important things yeah absolutely man well march 10th 10 a.m to 4 p.m we got six hours of incredible delivery for youth we still got a couple spaces open i'm going to launch this podcast on uh thursday morning so tomorrow morning uh so we got a couple days left how do people register for Mastery Camp if this is something of interest? Yeah, if you want to register for uh, sorry Mastery Camp and learn more, go to volleyball.boxout.ca. You can find out all the information there. It's comprehensive of exactly the itinerary and what we're going through and how it's a special event. And you can sign up there. And, you know, this is an event literally you're not going to want to miss. Yeah. And then for coaches as well, right? We're yeah, coaches. coaches. This, is a, this is a free workshop for you. This is free stuff. You come and get to hang out with cool coaches and, and learn about what's going on and the things that that we're learning about and trying to pass on to the youth. And then in terms of social media, where can youth, coaches, athletes find you on, on social? Yeah, uh, my Instagram is at Reed's Workouts, or you can follow our facility at The Athlete Matrix. Those are probably the two best areas. And, you know, we're constantly releasing the things that we're doing and educating and providing value. So check it out. Reed has a ton of incredible stuff going on on the social. I think, you, what was your highest vert touch? You got to go check that video out. That yeah, I, I touched uh, 11, six and a half and <laughs> yeah. a small older guy i'm just six feet tall so i take pride and passion to be able to being an athletic jumper not just jumping high right love it nice yeah. read thanks for the visit man and uh stoked to bring this mastery camp idea to life buddy all right